0: We're gonna look at the very last verse of chapter one and predominantly in chapter two. If you're using your pew Bibles, you can find it on page 774. If you're using your own Bibles, uh, you can look through the minor prophets. If you get to Micah, you've gone too far. Uh, It's right after Obadiah, but that might not be too helpful. So uh, look at Amos and keep going. Well, this is the second part of an Advent series in which we're considering the second coming, the second advent of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And we're focusing on the struggles that we endure in life. And so this Sunday, Pastor Jones has asked me to share on the topic of being overwhelmed. And so this passage might feel a little strange as an Advent passage, but you'll see a clear picture of someone who is overwhelmed. And you may already know and remember the story of Jonah. But just to give some context to what we're about to read, the word of the Lord came to to Jonah, and he was told to go to Nineveh a capital city of a a rival pagan nation, Assyria. And he was called there to call out their evil. And Jonah arose, but he didn't do what he was supposed to do. In fact, he fled in the opposite direction. The text in Jonah 1.3 says that Jonah was fleeing from the face of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And so he flees on a ship, and that ship is met with a mighty storm on the sea. And Jonah knows that the Lord has brought about this storm because of his flight. And so confessing this to others on the ship, he's eventually tossed overboard. And when he's tossed overboard, the rage of the storm ceases. So that's the context as we begin at that last verse of Jonah chapter 1 through chapter 2. Little theologians, as we consider this passage about deep waters, you'll have a lot of imagery that you can draw from to draw, if your parents allow it. But I would encourage you to consider a picture of a person standing behind a rock wall that's holding back a great flood of water. And that water is starting to seep through. Would you consider drawing that image? Let's hear God's word from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before your word this Advent season and we ask that you would help us. Help us to be hungry for you and your word. Would you expose our hearts, even to ourselves, that we would become more like you through your word in this time. Lord, we know this can only happen by your Spirit's work. So we ask that you would lead us, that you would challenge and grow us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, I met a man named George. At the time, he was in his late 80s. And throughout his life, as I got to know him, I found out he was a remarkable man. He had done it all. He was married with a beautiful family, a business owner, traveled the world around, uh, by all accounts, wealthy and successful. But when I met George in his late 80s, all of his major life events, all of his actions that he considered uh, great in the world, all of his joys, all of his successes had become past tensed, Uh, distant, distant memories. And now in his late 80s, he was living in an assisted living facility. He spent all of his days in a wheelchair Without his family around him, who had lived and moved far away. The staff that served him and were around him were very uncomfortable around George because he had become embittered because of all that he had endured. He was a bit scary to them, and so he didn't get the most energized attention. His attitude was persistently angry. And no amount of fun activity, no visits from friends, no encouraging words could cause George to smile, let alone enjoy an aspect of his life. All of the losses that he endured, it's not hard to understand that George felt overwhelmed with his life. It's hard to be overwhelmed. And even as we try to define that, what it means to be overwhelmed, most of us understand it intuitively. We know the experience, even if we don't know how to exactly or precisely define it. We know what it's like to be overwhelmed and usually it refers to becoming overcome, unable to act, almost like you're, you're inundated by a flood with all sorts of potential problems, whether it be challenges, whether it's experiences in life, whether it's anxiety or loss, or even our emotions can overwhelm us. In the case of George, he was overwhelmed by the sheer number of losses he'd experienced. But we don't need to know, we can know what it's like to be overwhelmed without the severity of those kinds of losses. I've spoken to many of you in the last few weeks, let alone the last few years, things that I've heard happening in our midst that would make me feel overwhelmed. Uh, Trauma, loss, job situations that are extremely challenging, grief of losing a loved one, long-term illness of a family member, long-term illness in our own bodies, Caregiving for a family member. These situations, these, these, this overwhelmed sense might even be compounded this Advent season. As the season should be the time when we feel the most joyful. And yet it's often the season when we feel the most overwhelmed, inundated with so much to do, running from event to event trying to find perfect gifts, trying to keep our finances within budget. And there's a cascading effect that happens when we're overwhelmed. It can lead to further anxieties. We can detach ourselves from our own sense of self. We can numb ourselves and our emotions because we're simply overstimulated which means we have a hard time listening or even focusing or remembering. We describe it with phrases like I'm treading water or I'm neck deep. And usually when we step back from the immediate feelings that we're enduring, so much of our lives feels overwhelming because so much of our lives is outside of our control. At the center of all of these experiences, at the center of all these struggles, is the reality that we are helpless on our own. Jobs, families, COVID, government, death, even our own sin and the sinful patterns that we've developed so much out of our control. We need help. And that's where we are in the story of Jonah. Jonah, who's been thrown off the ship, is in deep water. As we kind of read through, I, heard, I hope you heard kind of the description that Jonah gives. It's, it's deep and it's dark, and he, he uses these descriptions, he uses these phrases to make it clear that he is absolutely helpless. In verse 5, he describes that the waters that close in on him are to take his life. In verse 7, he describes that his life is fainting away. He's describing a helpless condition, and it's a description of death. Being overwhelmed, even in small ways in our lives, are small pictures of the fallen, sinful, broken world we live in. They're microcosms of the effects of sin and death. Just like when we experience small pictures of God's love through others and they point us to a greater love, when we're overwhelmed, we're experiencing and feeling the weight of death. The weight of how broken and fallen the world is. But what we see in this story, in this account in in Jonah, is it's a micro story of God's great redemptive story. It's a small picture of a greater picture that when we read this passage in Jonah 2, as overwhelming as it seems, there is comfort and even thanksgiving because of the Lord, who is faithful and loving and who directs his people In the most deepest, darkest hours, to know that salvation belongs to the Lord. See that in three ways. First way we see this passage that salvation belongs to the Lord is through a planned appointment. Now, in the early parts of the story of Jonah, as we're kind of looking at a survey for some of this, early parts in the story of of Jonah, Jonah must have believed that he had some measure of control. In the beginning of the story, God sends them to Nineveh to call out their sin, to provide them with an opportunity to repent and to receive God's grace and mercy. Nineveh, this capital of the Assyrians, This powerful enemy of Israel, Jonah thought that he could avoid showing the mercy of God to his enemies. He thought he had the ability to run from the Lord and so he flees and he goes to a place, he seeks out a place called Tarshish. It's in the exact opposite of Nineveh. We don't know exactly where it is, but we do know from scripture that it's likely a three-year journey on a ship. And in Isaiah 66, verse 19, uh, this place is so remote that it's described as a place that the fame and glory of the Lord have not yet reached. They haven't heard the glory of the Lord. And Jonah is fleeing to obscurity. He's running as far as he can from the Lord's direction. And we know that in chapter one, the account is, is actually pretty interesting because when the sea comes up uh, with this huge storm, everyone, all, the captain, all of the, the sailors, the experienced people who are on the ship know it's bad, apparently except for Jonah who's fallen and stays asleep. And then the captain tells Jonah to pray to his God, but there's no record of Jonah praying. And then the sailors realize that Jonah is the problem. He responds so matter-of-factly. Listen to what he says in Jonah nine. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear, for the Lord, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and then his only other phrase he says is in verse 12. He says, pick me up and hurl me into the seas. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I mean, he, he's so removed, it sounds like. even the, 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 the sailors are crying out. They know they're overwhelmed. They know they're, they're going to end in death if something doesn't happen. And they're crying out. And Jonah, Jonah responds so matter-of-factly. In fact, the sailors cry out to not be found guilty by the Lord for throwing Jonah overboard. In this desperate moment for Jonah, the Lord still is faithful. Even when Jonah doesn't even see the weight of this yet or he doesn't experience the overwhelmedness. But we read in the verse right before the passage uh, uh, that, that we were beginning in, Jonah 1.16, it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The result of Jonah being tossed into the sea is actually a It's a work of God to produce faith in the hearts of these pagan Gentiles who are heading to an unknown land. Gentiles make vows to the Lord because of the presence of Jonah and they're heading to a city that has not yet heard of the fame and glory of the Lord. Now they will. God's great appointment. God working even in Jonah's overwhelmed rebellion and now the Lord is working In his planned appointment in verse 17, we see that the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Even before Jonah experiences what it's like to be in the water, overwhelmed in the deep, dark places, even before he prays and cries out for mercy, the Lord has enacted a plan. He's appointed a fish to pursue Jonah. It's an unusual appointment for sure. But it's God's appointment. And when we're overwhelmed, we must remember that our lives function according to the appointment that the Lord has set. He's in control. And he calls us to walk by faith in a world that often does not make sense, that takes faith to trust that he's at work, using our circumstances and our situations for his purposes. You see, the world around us makes it feel like life should be easy. We're flooded in a world of marketing, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, It tells us that Life should be easier. If only we, we could have these items, these, these things that would make our life better, bigger, more entertaining. Jenna's gonna refer to some of those things and the heart behind them later. And in social media, as we look with images online, it's easy to see perfect photos, Christmas photos, Let me tell you, my poor wife endured a very lengthy photo section, and poor Tony Horton and poor Heather Morrison took photos of our family. And after about a million photos and perhaps a little Photoshop editing, we can finally get a a good Bennett photo. But it's easy to neglect and forget. We forget when we're overwhelmed. It's easy to to not remember the sovereign hand of God arranging all things. When we're overwhelmed, we actually need to slow down and acknowledge our hopelessness. We have to be honest about our desperate condition and honest about the truth that the Lord is in control, that he's planned the events, that he appoints the times and seasons. And sometimes the appointment of his provision is in the form of a fish. And it's smelly and it's hard and it may be very messy. But we trust him. Sometimes the Lord has us in struggles that feel overwhelming. So that we would notice others around us who are struggling in similar ways. Sometimes the Lord has us in struggles so that others will one day endure what we are struggling with. We'll hear testimonies of God's fame and glory in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their lack of knowledge. When we're overwhelmed, we slow down. We're honest about our condition. And we use our helplessness to point us to a God who is in control and who is uncompromising with his faithful love for his people. We trust that the Lord appoints his sal- our salvation. The second thing that we see that salvation belongs to the Lord is that we read about a God who listens in this passage. This is getting into the depth of chapter 2. Jonah Jonah 2 is mostly a prayer. It's a deep and brutally honest confession of faith. It acknowledges his overwhelmed situation. And it also acknowledges the complete assurance of God's character, God's faithfulness. He uses strong words in verse 2 like he calls and he cries out. And Jonah knows that he's in a situation that... That he's ultimately, he's dead in. A dead apart from the Lord's intervention. That's why he uses these phrases. And in verse 2, he cries out that he's out of of the belly of Sheol. Out of the belly of death itself. It's poetic language and it speaks to death without the ability to escape. Jonah's saying his death is inevitable at the beginning of this prayer. And it's likely that Jonah actually believes that he's escaping. He's he's experiencing the judgment of God and escaping the alternative of carrying out God's mission. He appears at the beginning to consign himself to his fate. He can't do anything for himself. And yet, why would he even spend moments praying Well, he spends moments praying because he knows that the Lord listens. And that the Lord is near those who are overwhelmed. He knows this. He repeats this in verse 2. It is the Lord who answers. It's the Lord who hears his voice. And in this experience of being overwhelmed, Jonah receives a picture into God's merciful mission. If you look down, look down in verse 8. Jonah states this. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their steadfast love. Consider what God has done in Jonah's heart when he makes this statement. The Lord sent him on a mission to confront vain idols that were happening in Nineveh. Jonah sees in his desperation the steadfast love of God that gives him hope. He listens to the Lord as the Lord is listening to him. And God has used this overwhelming situation in Jonah's life to conform Jonah, to see his mission in the world. Those who have vain idols only have death. In their most overwhelmed state, that's all they have For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you are bound to life itself. This is a season and period of time that we will endure. If we make it to a hundred, it will be the only hundred years we will experience the overwhelmed floods of life. For all eternity, the Lord will make his dwelling near his people. For all eternity, grief, sin, death will be destroyed. Right now is the only time we can understand the suffering of enduring with hope. And as we endure these experiences of being overwhelmed, we testify to the faithfulness of the one who will not let us down, who will not let us go. The one who came into this world, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ endured, Therefore, we will endure. And when we're desperately overwhelmed, we can see the most clearly how vain everything else is. There's no hope in anything else. The Lord uses the the state that we are to grow us and to shape us in in our humility towards Him. When we're faced with that moment of being overwhelmed, we're either going to turn to Jesus and be sanctified in that process we're going to turn to despair. But we belong to him. And in the process of the daily flood, we know that the Lord listens to us. We know that he hears us. And we know that he's using us to actually see his mission of redemption more clearly. Trust that the Lord is using you when you feel the most overwhelmed in life. Third thing that we see is the prophet who obeys. Jonah concludes his prayer in verse 9 with thanksgiving. Who would ever give thanks to the Lord for being swallowed by a fish? Only one who knew they needed to be swallowed by a fish. It's the need and the helplessness that's driven him and changed his disposition from one of bitter desperation to one of thanksgiving. Jonah knows that his redeemer lives. Jonah knows even in his sin he belongs to the Lord, the God Almighty. He knows that death will not be his his end. Even if he's not vomited back up, he knows one day he will see the temple. He will stand with the Lord. In fact, He says this in Jonah four three. The reason why he fled to begin with, he knew God's mercy. He said, "I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster." He wanted the Ninevites not to hear that message, but in this, he's experiencing the character of God who's loving him in his sin, and now he's on a on a journey. obedience now his life has been changed and he's going to share this message of redemption with his enemies well as we know centuries later another prophet would come but where Jonah was was only obeyed after his own sin and endured suffering this prophet came with no sin and suffered because he obeyed the coming of the Lord Jesus our prophet, priest, and king is the demonstration of God's steadfast love. You may remember in the Gospels, Jesus says that God has given the sign of Jonah to point to him as the one who was greater than Jonah. Three days and three nights in darkness and the overwhelming days in the belly of Sheol. The Apostle Paul describes it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? No, in all these things, we are, the NAS translated, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's faithful love is a greater flood than the flood we experience when we're overwhelmed. God's great love won't be stopped by a rock wall. God's great love will not be stopped by our emotions. His mercies will not stop from pursuing us. Our problems won't hold back his grace. When Jesus appears again in his second advent, there will be a flood. And in that flood, the nations will be fully and completely healed. To tell you a little bit more about my friend George... One day I walked into the facility where George lived and I was met by staff after staff who came coming up to me saying that I needed to go see George. I finally was able to make my way down, a little hesitant, not sure what I was going to meet. And there was George in his room, sitting in his wheelchair with the largest smile I'd ever seen. And when I asked him, What's made your day, George? He simply replied, I realized that my life was never going to get better and that I'm a desperate mess, but my Savior loves me and I will endure because of him. And from that point forward, he held fast to the Lord's love I never saw him without a smile on his face, even on the day that he met his Savior face to face. Hold fast to the Lord. He is with you. Look to him when you feel the most overwhelmed, and know that he is shaping you, that you belong to him, and he's covered you completely with his Son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you acknowledging our need. Would you help us to know and rest in your love always and prepare our hearts even now to be honest with you, honest even as we prepare to confess our sins, our pain, our overwhelmed state, that we would trust all the more in your unfailing love For you love us completely and fully in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.